Welcome to the Everyday Sniper. You got Frank from Sniper's Hide here, and we got an interview with you. I talked to you guys about this a little earlier in the week. I have Jeff Uber on the line from Zero Compromise Optics there. Uh, welcome to the Everyday Sniper podcast. Jeff, say hi to everybody out there. Thanks, Frank. Thanks for having me on the on the show, and yeah. Happy to happy to be here. Excellent, excellent. Now, you and I go back a long time. People may not know this. We used to hang uh, back in the day with Shot Show and everything. We used to hang out at the um in the in the booth pick room. Uh, some people may not realize that y- you had to go in like on Tuesday and sit in a room for a while when they when they called your number in order to bid on your booth space. And at the time, uh, when when you worked for uh, Night Force back then. You you were the one that had to go and sit there and wait for your booth. So yeah, it, 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 we go back quite a long time. Yeah, that was a long time ago. I mean, I've been doing it since '91, and I'm not sure it was too long after that when I met you and we were we were doing that exact thing back in the, the shot show torture room days. <laughs> yep, yep, and and it was for me, and it's kind of funny because it was always intimidating. Like, oh, there's Jeff from Night Force, but we I used to always sit next to you on purpose. <laughs> To try to kind of get to know you, because you know, it, it, there was always that respect for the optic and and what you were doing and all the work you guys were doing there. So kind of my way was to you know, hey, let's go sit over there next to that guy, and and you know, the, start to learn about optics and the different things because it was pretty small back then. Yeah, it's funny. I never thought about it that way. I guess, but yeah, <laughs> flattering. <laughs> yeah, it was small. It was small. Everything. Everything was a lot different back in those days. It really, because um, a lot of what I used to do, some of my education, and, and this might crack you up a little bit, but um, was was John Williams Senior with U.S. Optics because they yeah. had gotten onto Sniper's Hide before pretty much anybody at the time, right. and, and so I was hanging out with them. So that kind of was my first, you know, jump into into any kind of you know optical education. And, and, you know, from there it sort of takes off and, and you start to meet people in the industry and get the different viewpoints because, I, 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 I don't know, maybe you can kind of explain some mindset in how different companies look at the optics. Because back in the day you were, you know, you were the second focal plane guys and, and you were pretty adamant with that. Uh, um, that, you know, you were building second focal plane scopes and, and there is that benefit. So maybe... Give give people your take on the second focal plane versus the front focal plane, and where those those decisions brought us to where we are today. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, there's been so much change. I mean, you, know, you look at it way back, way back then, in the early '90s or so, and first focal plane, well, European scopes in general. I mean, back then you didn't have your tactical European scopes. I mean, maybe maybe back then Hensel was around. I don't even know, but they weren't known in the United States. That's for sure. And, you know, Schmidt and Bender didn't even have a tactical line back then. I think their their first semi-tactical scope was their 4 to 16 by 50 with that brand new side wheel focus parallax, you know, and, and uh, you know, that was first focal point. But I think the, the big deal back then was the, the, the radical manufacturing technology wasn't there to really get the, the some tensions that allowed it to be super, uh, be used as a super precise or target scope or, or what we know now as a tactical scope, PRS, that sort of thing. It, so that was that was a kind of limiting factor. A lot of other things were, were limiting as well. But and you know there wasn't a whole lot of the PRS type shooting. That wasn't the predominant sport. It was 
it was really uh, you know bench rest, F class, a lot of varmint hunting and and various paper punching type type uh, competitions. And so second focal plane was 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 uh, was the key because you could actually have reticle subtensions or the amount of, of, of area that the reticle covers at distance was was much finer than than you could uh, like. You know, maybe an eighth of an inch, or, or even or even less on second focal plane. Where first focal plane back in the days, hell, you were talking a third of an inch or a quarter of an inch. I mean, something just brutal, you know. As far as yeah, uh, <laughs> unless you were shooting at a something the size of a uh, you know of a, of, a, of a person or something that big, dare I say that? But you know, and then it was it really wasn't it didn't help for for any sort of real accuracy. And yeah, I mean, you you were looking at a reticle almost as big as a click value. And, 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 and so, you know, again, that, that was it. If you think about it too, other than the paper punching side of it, um, in, in F class, you know, today had to reduce the size of their X ring, their X ring was a minute, you know, and it was minute a man and that was the X ring. And, and, and so, you know, then we, we always talked about minute a man with the military side, but then, you know, minute of elk. So, you know, so everything was so much bigger. And and then you saw that turn, um, like you said, on the tactical side competition where we're at today to, to the front focal plane. And, and it allowed us to be more dynamic. But, I mean, like, you know, you and I used to speak about in the past quite a bit. It's a little harder to make those scopes as well as a second focal plane, it, you know, that they tend to be a little bit more forgiving, a little bit more bulletproof in the second. So, you know, maybe kind yeah, of touch on a manufacturing yeah, side. Sure, sure. I mean, and and that's, that's true to this day. It's, it's true. I mean, to make a first focal plane scope, how do I word it? To make it as good as a second focal plane, assuming they're all the same quality level, it, it, it is more difficult. It takes more time more energy more expense from the optical engineer and, and everything because the bottom line is that in a first focal plane your reticles in the front of the scope uh so you and, and the image is formed has to be formed and completed basically corrected if you will when it gets to that reticle so in a first focal plane you have half as many lenses to correct uh, any any aberrations or, or, or chromatic aberrations distortion resolution any, anything uh, you're working with half the amount of lenses to produce as good of an optical picture in a first focal plane. Now, a second focal plane, you can continue using lenses to eliminate or, 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 or adjust for undesirable effects all the way until it gets to the reticle in the eyepiece or near the eyepiece, back of the director. So, yeah, second focal plane, a lot more lenses that you can, not a lot more lenses in the scope. They're both equal as far as the amount of glass and pieces in any scope, but in the second focal plane, you have a lot more lenses that, that you can you can work with. The optical engineer can work with to, in designing the, the system, where uh, you can you can get rid of these these undesirable effects. And first focal plane too, if you if you build a scope right, you you, you should have a strong first and second focal plane position, not just one or the other. A lot of a lot of second focal plane scopes, they don't have a you can't just put a reticle in that first focal plane position. Every scope has a first and a second focal plane. But if they did, if the optical designer didn't design it to to to, to be you uh, to utilize both focal planes first and second, then then it's only good in one. So again, second focal plane's easier if you're not looking to do make it first focal plane or ever use the first focal plane. Um, our scopes have strong first and second focal plane positions, so we can put a reticle in either really. Although we only make first right now, 
Right. And you guys, I mean, the, the, running the zero compromises and stuff is it's just been a, such a great experience you're, you're definitely up on the tier one side of things uh you know you, you your packages that that are put together i've been gravitating more towards the four to 20 which would be considered in sort of the ultra short range where it's a smaller scope versus the uh the five to 27 which is more of your nor- you know not normal size but full size optic um, both of them have been fantastic. And then I know you guys just came out with the new uh, reticle. Um, so, you know, because there's a why don't you talk about like the process that you used and how that might be different today? Because you went around to PRS shooters, to me, to to uh, dealers and, and you almost crowdsourced the design of a reticle and talk about that process versus back in the day where you said, this is the reticle we're giving you. Here you go. Yeah. Um, you know, I think I, I've always went around and, and, and talked or, or listened to people, but not quite so much as what we do today. Um, and in listening, there, there's a lot more competition than there is today. And when you design a reticle, uh, we, we just like everything in our scope, we really want to make sure we, we, we maximize what, what the, majority of the public wants but reticles are very difficult to to please everyone it's like colors so yeah picking uh, your favorite color yeah, right <laughs> yeah yeah well you know our, our impact one our impact two and our, our newly to be released here in just another week or so i hope uh, will be our impact three those those all those reticles come from a, a lot of history and with 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 nick gebhardt myself and, and other people yourself People at Mile High, people at CS Tactical, and, and, and a variety of others, that, and, and shooters, and we, we listen to everybody, and we, we try to take all that information and not not not, not make a reticle that's this um, jack of all trades, but they come up with something very very specific and, and that we feel is is on the cutting edge of, of, of what people are, are, are doing in the, in the sport today. And so, uh, as far as the, the reticle manufacturing, that's that's. A bit of a different subject, and that you know, current manufacturing process would definitely allow you to get, to get finer and finer in some tension. Where you know, it used to always be. A lot of people think that these glass etched reticles were laser laser etched, and that that's not the case. I mean, they're they're chemically etched. It's it's a, it's like a mask, like a negative, and and they're they're done in a, in a chemical process where that etching is is, is is cut into the glass or or burned into the glass, if you will, chemically. Uh, now there's there are new new technologies that's plasma. And, and and this plasma not only creates a sharper, more square-edged uh, groove, if you will, on the reticle and the glass, uh, but it allows allows the manufacturer to even get finer, at a finer micron level, where they get down to, uh, if you want to talk in, in mils, instead of 0.04 mil, you know, we're talking down to 0.01 even. Uh, so when you get the the scopes now with these wide, wide zoom ratios, um, the challenge is having a reticle that you can see at low power and, and, and isn't so heavy or doesn't look like telephone poles at high power. So it, it, there, there's always the, the challenge of not only the reticle subtension, but then how you apply it with the, the zoom range or magnification of the, of the scope you've designed. So. And I don't want to, I'm going to get into the zoom range in a sec, but I want to kind of stick on a reticle for a minute. Um, it, it, with the new Impact 3, you kind of created this funnel at the top. And I know it's it's because it's distinct looking, you've had a, it's brought a lot of attention to that reticle. And I want to talk these rapid engagements because these are kind of working. And, and I know kind of working with some of the Army guys and the military side of things. And, and I've had some 
calls come into me over the last three months where this this rapid target engagement where you can flash mill something and kind of have a number that there there's the way they do it within sort of the tremor ecosystem with the lines above those scattered lines are designed to put a, a target in there and to say it's x number of mills below so if if you have a, a 10 gun and you know you have six, it's like, okay, that's 600 yards, and then the six from four, you use your four for your dope, is kind of like one side of it gives you the range, the other side of it gives you the dope to hit it with. And so what was sort of like you going into that funnel, was it a similar request or or, or direction that you saw people going to? Because it seems like it's a speed thing where everybody, we are gravitating towards speed. But talk about that reticle design and that funnel part of it. Well, normally, normally I, I've, I've been incredibly involved in and or, or handled the development of, of most all the reticles in, in my, my whole career. Uh, with the Impact 3, i got to say, that's really been Nick Gibbard's brainchild, especially the funnel. So I may not be the best person to speak on the exact reason why he designed it uh, or the questions you're asking, because I, I haven't worked with training military or worked with the military for quite quite some time now. I used to heavily, but um, so I, I, what. What I do is I, I do, I've done more of the the, the proofing of the tensions and fine tuning of, of the concept of, of the reticle, and then of course you know I work with you on on the help validating what what we think the ultimate what the customer wants, what the shooter wants. But so I'm I'm a little bit at a disadvantage to give you a full breakdown of. of, of you know how the the military would would say utilize the funnel. Other than just what you mentioned, it is it is very easy, and it's like the funnel design's been around for eons. I mean, you, know, you go back to the early European Cold War type scopes. You know, had had that design. I mean, Leopold actually developed a, 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 a Mark III or M M3 back in the 80s that had a, a funnel type reticle that was utilized for, for drop and ranging for the 50 cal. Um, so I mean it. It, it's it's very very easy to use it. It's it's relatively accurate. I mean, in our in our testing that we've done so far with the laser rangefinder and the and the funnel system in our M3 Impact 3 reticle, it it was very very accurate. We're getting plus or minus 15 yards or so, depending at, at the the distances that it that is laid out for. Designed. Um, for yeah, for the, the you know, right now the the funnel that we have will currently do 18 inch, 12 inch, 6 inch, and 9 inch targets, which are all your basic IPSC sized targets. And of course, with a little modification, that could be very well utilized as a military and man sort of sort of ranging as well. And and that's uh, like the is- I, maybe, maybe I'm missing your point. Sorry. No, no, you're right on it. It's like because the Israelis still had the funnel. What they used to call it, like the grin grin rod or something. Grin grindle grin rod. It was with an eye though. They had a name for their their optic, and they and they were big with the funnels. And then even the Russians had a funnel variant. Um, right. No, but you did answer by, by basically saying that, you know, with the 18, 12, 9, 6-inch targets, you can throw that up and get a basic range. And, and you know, you, your 18 is your shoulder, your 9 is your head, you know, things like that as far as on the military side of it. But rapid target engagement is a question that's coming up as well as, I mean, on the competition side when you look at it, it's, it's such a speed-based endeavor 
because they're doing, you know, anywhere from five to ten targets in 90 seconds. We don't do a lot of UKD, I would say, in this stuff, but there is still a question of rapid target engagement. And the fact that with your MP uh, Impact 3, I must said M, but yeah, your Impact 3 reticle, um, it, that you're using this sort of rapid target engagement shows a direction a lot of reticles are going to. The military's doing that side of it. Um, I think even on the Leopold side with that CCH they're using now has an element. The Tremor, like I mentioned, has an element to it. So I just see it as as a as a as a, 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 a sort of a more compact way of solving the same problem. We see in well, other. Too, I like the big the big thing is speed. I mean, let's face it. I mean, if 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 you if for some reason you don't have or can't use a laser rangefinder. And, uh, and you have to really sit there and arrange a person the old-fashioned way. I mean, hell, are they really <laughs> are they really sitting there waiting for you and standing still? I mean, it, 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 probably speed is more important to a point than, than ultimate accuracy the last five yards. You know? Right, right. And 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 so I just I I, I kind of like the idea that you know you're including the floating dot. You've opened up that field of view, bringing bringing your your Christmas tree a mill down. I always found it a little weird that they started the Christmas trees as wide as they did, so close to the center of the crosshair. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, having an open open space uh, above and below, you know, to be able to see trees. Uh, you know, even with the the, the, the Impact Three, we 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 toss back and forth whether or not we should we should do the funnel, uh, to, or we should or shouldn't. And you know, you still get a variety of people that. Oh, I, I would buy it if it didn't have the funnel. And some people say, I'll buy, I'm buying it because I really love the funnel. So, you know, it's, it's always a, but keeping the, keeping the openness around the center below and, and especially above for trace and impact. It's, I, I think that that's a, a very important point and it's too easy to, to get lost in a lot of these reticles nowadays. So. Yeah. I mean, I, I know for me, like with some of the Christmas tree and using it in on the tremor side, um, just recently, like doing it with the Valkyrie, the Valkyrie's such a small caliber, and when I push it out so far, those you know th th those uh, screen door reticles will cover it. So that little bit more negative space helps me find where those impacts are going to be. Um, you know, I it it became a case where I had to be conscious of the time of flight when I was holding with that reticle, the way the rifle is set up that I was using, it wasn't mine. It was someone else's and it was actually dialed in on the reticle. Um, yeah. I had to move it to the side in order to see my splash, you know, where, when it's, it's, it's kind of like I have your four to 20 on my Valkyrie. I don't have to do that. You know what I mean? You have enough negative space, I guess is how people word it, but I don't, you know, enough, enough area around these points that I can see even a 22 caliber bullet at the distances everybody's shooting six five creeds, you know, and that's why the four to twenty sits on my Valkyrie. And then same thing too with you get too busy and too much there, and then you, when you turn the magnification down, I mean, let's face it, not everyone's running at the to twenty some odd powers. A lot of guys in competition are. From what I hear, you're a lot of times shooting around 12, 15, you know, that, those sort of magnification ranges when you get down at that point, and now it's, you know, are, am, I really, am I really seeing and grabbing the right, the right hold point? <laughs> right. So, I mean, it's, again, it gets more difficult as the power goes down. And, well, yeah, keep it a little more, 
openness, having the, the finite resolution that you need on the reticle, but but uh, not overdoing it as a as a real real balance. And that that impact three that we we did that's another reason why we went with the whole heavy uh, hollow mill dots um, and then the the finer two tenth dots or, or points to, to to be able to use at higher magnification, but then they kind of ghost out and get out of your out of your face, out of your field of view at, at lower magnification. Nice, nice, and 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 like I said, I I I want to talk zoom ranges too, because we kind of had this conversation at Shot Show, uh, uh, that you know there there was this drive to do threes to the like the twenty six in the Heinzelt. You know, we had to go three power on one end, and we had to go you know twenty five thirty somewhere in there on the on the top end, and yet nobody goes down and shoots anything. You know, below eight, really. I mean, even back in the day, if 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 I look at the work at rifles only, even even when you know working with the the night force, um, the military scopes you guys have out there with SOCOM, when you were there, it's like, yeah, night vision. You went down in the sweet spot was sort of eight power. You know, but then every you know, but then everybody wants that high end. But then at the same time, they want the low, low, low end. And I, and I think there's a change going on because our, our, our glass is so much better where eight to me doesn't seem that big a deal, but it, it's still able to give us field of view. And I know part of it's field of view. Um, you know, I don't want to discount that, but I don't know, man. That's what binos are for, and that's what different things. Yeah. And Yeah, so give me your talk on field of, on, on zoom ranges, I guess. Well, in a, you can get away with more in a second focal plane because you eliminate the whole reticle subtension issue. So that's that's that separates F1 zoom ranges from F2 a bit. Uh, but still, either way, I mean, it, I look at it as do you want to try and make a scope that's a jack of all trades, or do you want something that really does 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 the the, the job that it's intended for the best? Um, it's, it's no different than rifles. I mean. Are you gonna? No one goes out that I know of and, and tries to build a rifle that'll shoot uh, long-range PRS competition and is heavy enough to do that, but yet light enough to still be a, a mountain rifle for hunting doll sheep. <laughs> so, right. and, and, and the zoom range is kind of the same. The guy goes out and buys something that's an eight-time, ten-time, whatever zoom range. Maybe not so much on on a second focal plane close combat type scope like a one to ten or one to eight. Maybe not so much there. But specifically, when you start getting up to say these three to to twenty somethings or or, or whatever, it is eight times and eight times zoom ranges in a first focal plane on a on a high magnification scope. I just don't I just don't see it. They have too many negative negative points. Uh, usually, uh, I I could even mention names, but I won't on some new scopes that just recently came out that have wide zoom range. You look at them and they they they, they change the, the eye relief will change up to a quarter of an inch, which is in the industry standard. That's just horrible. Uh, Diopter shift, your your reticle focus changes from from high to low power. There's all kinds of negative effects that a lot of people don't see or don't don't are unaware of. And maybe they maybe they after they buy it they they they, they say oh I, I don't really like this scope for some reason they don't even know why but it has some weird optical anomalies that they they don't they're not aware of can't put their finger on but they're there and they're always there and and first focal plane again specifically talking first focal plane. I really like the five times zoom range at this point, at least with the technology that that, that the optical engineers have. Uh, you know, six time maybe okay, but much anything much over that, and and you're you're really starting to compromise what what could have been done optically 
field of view, uh, a variety of things, uh, internal adjustment, accuracy of the internal adjustment. You know, so I'm not a big, I'm not a real big fan. And then at the, and then you get to the point where you say, okay, what, what do I do with this? What does this scope do better than than the five time zoom? Uh, probably nothing. I mean, or unless you're just going to try and build a, the, the rifle that is a do-all rifle that can do everything like I described, and, and you need a scope that you put on it that you think can do everything. And really, in my opinion, if you go that route, you've kind of built a, dare I say, a bastard child setup, you know? Right, and I do think sort of in, in the ranges we're talking, the 4 to 20 that you guys came out with would be my what I considered a do-all, a, a universe. That would be my utility tool would be sort of the 4 to 20. Then, you know, when if I'm looking at sort of competition or, or looking at fine-tuning in on something, then that's where I come to that 5 to 27, where I get that little bit bump where I want to get into it and, and look at it. Now, if if I, and, and we mentioned this a little bit more, if I wanted to go higher in the 35 and 45 zoom range, my low end would disappear. Because I think that gets wasted with a lot of people, um, you know, uh, uh, anything that's that's in the in the, you know, like five to forty five range. Am I ever going below ten x with that scope? Probably not. Yeah, like you like you said, even back in the old days, eight power was you know was it. So you're really as long as you have that at the low end, or maybe just a little bit more than if if your high end is really up in that that thirty some odd power range or whatever then and yeah, why why would you need anything less than, than eight on the low end? And if you did try and make that make a scope that had a seven times zoom or eight, or you'd, you'd have a real a real mess, in my opinion. <laughs> well, and we lose a little elevation as well with all that. I mean, that's where some of those higher zoom ranges start to lose. Now we're getting we're getting some of that back with the technology, but it it always in the past, like if we go back ten years ago, it always compromised how much elevation you had. And it still does, and, and you know, yeah, they're starting to get more of it back, I guess. Uh, but but on the same hand, how, how much of it's really usable, and, and does the click value maintain its value through through the whole range? So there's again, there's a lot of a lot of hidden things that that a lot of people don't have the equipment to be able to test to determine whether or not that's really the best way to go or or, or not. So a manufacturer that that wants to sell on the the latest range of zoom range, there might be a lot of people out there that that just just really don't don't see the the points that the negative points that that come along with it, or they, they're unable to to detect it. No, and I think that's a great thing that you brought up is that people know they don't like something, but they can't put their finger on it. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's where sort of the marketing kind of like they were marketed one thing that you say has these compromises in there, and it's compromises people know they don't want, but it's not really billed as a compromise. And then when they get it, they're like, hey, we read it every day. I mean, there's guys on Sniper's Hide that buy all the newest scopes. I mean, guys will go out and buy six scopes to return five of them. And we see that. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad they're. I'm glad they're there. <laughs> yeah, because I, I love it when people, you know, get a hold of our scope. I feel that that we we built what we we consider to be the the finest available on the market currently, and and so we have nothing to hide. And I, I love it when people give give good, fair, and professional uh, evaluations of things. But uh, but you're right. There, there's an awful lot of people that that as, have good intentions, but but maybe really. 
I don't have the, the necessary equipment and or, or talent to, to, to give it a, a real fair shake and say, hey, this is what we're, we're really looking for. Here's the real benefits and not. And that's not to take anything away from a, a person trying to give their honest opinion. It's just the fact of the matter is it's, it's, it's difficult and you really have to have some, some equipment. I mean, I like that, that post you just recently put up, I think, today or yesterday on how to rate scopes and I think those are all really good points, kind of get a standard that, that people can use for communication. Uh, but the tough thing is that without the, the equipment, one of the, the things that people never really see uh, unless they go through the course of time is, is how the scope holds up. And, and are, are the, is the click value accuracy really there throughout the range? I mean, how is it? how does it really, really hold the maintained point of aim with a little bit of vibration, recoil, or other? Um, parallax sensitivity changes with due to temperature and other things so i mean and, and that's that's something that i guess short of a, of a manufacturer like ourselves having the equipment no one can necessarily do that but there people are getting smarter and, and and more educated on the whole thing i mean companies are, are coming out with good stands and fixtures for doing more accurate testing I'm, I'm i love it i wish that would have been around a long time ago because all the scopes i've ever been related involved with and or or built have always been of the best in the industry at, at their time and especially on durability i think the rifle scope has to be durable number one and accurate mechanically and then if you had to pick third optical quality because it's not a viewing device it's a it's a sighting device you know? nice <laughs> and, yeah and that's my total i say that all the time it's a telescopic sight it's not a spotter to look at birds it's a telescopic sight because, I mean, that question comes up, and, and I did. I made the post today. Um, just to give a background, I want to make a review card. I want to be able to say, here's here's an Excel spreadsheet. This is the criteria and give these, you know, I call them bay window reviewers. It's a guy who gets a scope, and he looks out the front window of his house. He scans his neighborhood, and then he says, this scope is awesome. I think it looks better than my other scope I replaced it with. So... My thinking is let's have criteria that you can go down the list and say, you know, and, and I actually, you know, I, I was I put a one to ten scale on glass. I put a one to five because everybody weights glass incorrectly. It's all subjective. You know, my IC is, you know, so to show that. Yeah, like exactly what you said, the optical quality of it is third in a, in a line. Not first. I think it's a, I think it's important too that people can break down the optical points or, or qualities and, and and what I see that, that people don't necessarily look at it that they, and the way they should is, is the difference between resolution and contrast. Contrast is what what people typically see when they look through the scope and they and they go wow that pops that that's my favorite scope that's usually contrast because they didn't take in the time to put it in a, in a situation where you have finite detail. Uh, infinite detail, like looking at a dollar bill at 50 yards, where you always have something smaller and smaller to look at. And so, you know, resolution is is one aspect where you need to say, okay, with this scope, I can see this amount of detail uh, at, at distance, and with this one, I can't quite see that. I I have to back off to this larger element on a res chart, or or even writing on a dollar bill. You can't get much better than a dollar bill, honestly. <laughs> it has every amount of detail you could imagine, so, or or a newspaper with descending writing, but. You know, most people focus on contrast. So you have two different aspects. You got the contrast. You have the, the resolution. Of course, there's others. There's chromatic aberration. There's color, incorrect colors, or, or fringing, where you have a, a blue halo from from dark to light colors, and 
Uh, those are things that, that, that are separate as well. And then there's ultimately low light, but most people make their opinions based on broad daylight conditions. And I think when if you're evaluating an optic, not that you have to find the worst conditions in the world, but you really should look at things in low light because if, if you have really good light transmission and you have really good resolution, that, that scope is going to look better uh, even with less contrast. So, so contrast is an easy thing to come up with, but it also kills light transmission, and co high contrast doesn't mean it has good resolution. I, I, there's a lot of scope manufacturers out there that focus strictly or, or mostly on, on contrast. I won't name names. There's some real tier one level type companies that do that, and I don't agree with it. I mean, it, yeah, it, 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 it's why people say, Does this one just looks better to me. But when you, they're not really weighing out all the different optical elements that they, they should. And, and if you have really good contrast with really good resolution and really good light transmission and not a whole lot of tunneling and a, and a large eye box, and that, that's, that's a big accomplishment. And a lot of manufacturers don't have that. Luckily for us, it gave us the, the opportunity to, to come in and, 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 and put our foot in the door and enter the market with a new scope brand that, that that is much more balanced in that way. Well, and, and that's a good point. I mean, one thing, just to kind of get back to the dollar bill, when I went to Vienna, they had their test target in their square room up there, and they had a dollar bill, a U.S. dollar bill on the sheet with other elements to look at, but a, do a U.S. dollar bill was in Vienna in their in their <laughs> shop. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and so there's that. So absolutely. But then on the other thing, what you're saying is there's there's a way – I don't want to say, and these are the, this is the wrong word, but I think you get my point. There's almost a way to fool somebody into that contrast versus resolution. So you oh, can basically sure. say, hey, look at this pop, like you're saying, which a lot of people do. Hey, look at the pop on this. But they're really kind of fooling people in, 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 in the reality of it. And, and there's, a, there's different mindsets in different parts of the world where, where the, wherever the optical engineer is. I mean, if you look at a, a Japanese design scope versus a, a European design op, optical engineer, uh, you're, you're going to see different focus on, on different areas. Japanese will focus more on resolution, for example, and the Europeans will focus more on contrast and light transmission. Um, and that's pretty, pretty typical. So you can, you can get either either the Japanese or the Europeans, for, for example, to, 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 to focus on, on what you want, but you really have to specify. You have to say, here's, what we, here's the parameters that we want. We, have to, we want this thing to be a nice, equal, balanced, balanced setup with, out, of, out of all these three different elements. And, and like I say, looking at scopes and, and, and bad conditions and looking at ultimate detail is, uh, for resolution, to me, is a, a, a better indicator of the quality of the optics overall. Um, contrast, sure, you can you can pretty much get that a feel for that right off the bat, looking in broad daylight. So I move on to the other things that are, uh, are will take a little more time to to, to, to decipher or, or test and evaluate. Nice, and and you know, and in a way, kind of where you are and, and why you're zero compromise is because you saw the the sort of the Japanese side of the house. You then saw the European side, and and with the tier one on both sides of those houses. And then you moved into your own, and now you're like, "Hey, this is the, this is where the world where I you know I was. This is the world I looked at, and now I'm putting two of these worlds together to get to get a no compromise or zero compromise optic out there." And 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 I I personally think I could see it, and 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 it, it's it's comfortable to be behind 
it, it, you know, the, the time that you're looking through at different things, even if, what is that? What am I looking at? It, 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 it doesn't wear on your brain, your head, your eyes, however you want to look at it, because I do think you have a nice balance of that resolution and contrast within and then the zero compromise optic that it's not putting any strain on me trying to pull one or the other out. No, that's a fact. And, uh, you know, like I said, I've looked at a lot of different designs over the years and always been, you're always looking at the other side of the fence from where, whatever, wherever you're at. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, it was, it was nice to actually get to that, that position here with, with ZCO to, to be able to build it exactly with what we want with the, the technology that's available. I mean, our optical engineers are hundred percent European, if you will, but you know, it doesn't, like I say, it, it, we, we told them what we want and the ultimate effect that we want at the end of the day to, to get the best balance of, of, of optical design, regardless of what part of the world the engineer comes from. <laughs> so. and, and, you know, one of the things I like too, and, and, and you have all the features that someone might look at, but you didn't try to like, I got to make this, you know, whiz bang special. You, you basically said, well, these are the best practices that work, and I'm going to put this into this, and th- there's nothing on the optic that you kind of look at and go, ooh, I think I'm going to break that, or uh, why did you put it there? You know, why is it in my way? You know, you didn't move things around to try to st- get your silhouette to stand out from somebody, but I do like the, like the, the, the little tiny things in a zero compromise, the arrow that shows me looking from the top down where my turret screws are. Right, right. You, you know, small. There's a lot of little, little things like that, but you're right. I mean, the people, people ask all the time, well, what's the one thing, I, what, one reason I should buy a ZCO over the competition? Well, it's not. The whole balance, but the, the overall package. It, it's not that there's one. We don't, we don't sell off a gimmicks, and we're a tier one scope, so I can't sit here and say that we have this one little feature or aspect that the reason why you should buy our scope our scope is the best because it's the best balance of all these things in one package by far but that's the one reason the one reason is actually multiple things put into into one package that that's the one reason if you will well and 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 this is something that people that i think is is a testament to the to the work you did is you're compared to the uh, tangent theta more than any other optic, which a tangent is over a thousand dollars more than yours price wise. But when people compare sort of the, the, the look feel, you know, if they have to compare it to something, it's always compared to a $4,500 scope. It's it, you do not see zero compromise talked about in the same vein, in the same way as a $2,500 scope where you may get a $2,500 scope that's discussed with a $3,000 scope. You may get a $1,500 scope discussed with a $2,500, but your scope at like 32 is is leapfrogs everybody in in your zip code and goes right next to the next higher up. Yeah, and, and that, our goal was to, to be the best. And I, I do believe that, that we are, regardless of, of price, but it's been... It's been very, very flattering and, and comforting to see that when, when we first released the scopes now over over a year ago to the market, people started getting them that they that they put us in that category. I mean, that's that's where I, I know the I know the product is, but do our can our customers see it? Can our do our customers believe it? And they, 
They, they have, and, and and I'll tell you, back back many years ago, no one would have seen that. No one no one evaluated rifle scopes at that level even just 10, 10 years ago or so. I mean, the the, the customer education, the level of of, of education that, that that people have on on rifle scopes and long range shooting in general is just it's amazing. It's great. I love it. You know, it's. Uh, you don't have to sit, or, you know, educate everybody uh, all, all the time on on why your your, your product is, yeah, thirty six hundred dollars or, or three, over three thousand dollars versus, like you say, why I can buy this one for twenty five and it looks just as good to me. Well, okay, buy it and you'll you'll be our customer in in a few years if you stay into the game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and and it, there is a lot of competition, right? There is a, 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 I mean it's if we go back like you said 10 years ago there might have been three big players right you had three choices of high dollar I got to get like some of the best stuff going out there and as you said you were always included if I go back and let's even go back further let's go back 15 years ago we had three players okay and and I I won't you know if I if if I had to throw them off it, it would probably be like the Schmitz the night forces, and then, you know, you can go in the Heinzelt, and it was it was around. The Leopold was was popular, but wasn't really considered on the same level in some way. Sometimes it was, sometimes it wasn't. But then when we moved forward, and then that player board expanded, you know, to the uh, K six to twenty four, or now it's the three to fifteen. You were a player there when the Collis became a tier one and, and was was known to be you know kind of a tactical darling and still is in a lot of ways not taking any but now then we go into this other kind of uh decade i guess you know or another you know thing and there might be five scopes that are on the tier one and you're right back in that same pool so you've always played in the tier one ponds even when the tier one ponds were tiny so it just makes sense that you continued with that excellence. That's all I've ever cared about. I, I just, I, I, I'm not a natural salesman or, or naturally passionate about, you know, sales in, in that in that way. I mean, I can only sell usually on facts and 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 knowing that that I'm, I'm working with a product that's best of class. If, if I can't do that, I'm not interested. It'd be no fun. Um, you know, I cut my teeth on all this. Yeah, for me, even when I was a kid, you know, my dad and I shot competition, and before I even started with Night Force, I was shooting long-range competition. I got heavily in the thousand-yard bench rest and some other long-range precision uh, shooting competitions, and, and uh, so the, the scope is, has always been what, what I do, and it's like a custom rifle smith that builds the best, most accurate rifle. I mean, great. I, I, that, that's 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 awesome, and my my version of that is to do that with the scope, and and I'm only interested in it if I can build the best, and really wouldn't even want to. I, I do enjoy it. I enjoy what I do if, if I'm if I'm building to that that level, but I, I really wouldn't uh, even want to be in the industry if I if I can deal in the in the tier one game. Nice, nice, yeah. So you you you're you're just not looking to OEM something, slap your name on it. You don't you don't want you know the OEM OEM uh, JH scope out there because you want it to just have your name on, on on a shelf. You want something that is going to be you know a legacy down the road. This is this is when people look at this like your Ilias or your your guys who were out there throwing them on machines. They're saying this was done right. And, 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 and like I said, that's been your history moving through all this since I've known you. 
there's just so there's just too many of the others out there <laughs> now, and it's just disgusting. Almost at a level that uh, there's another scope manufacturer popping up every day. You know, usually let's face it, from China, and uh, you know there's some there's some Japanese manufacturers out there that build some really really good product, but short of that. <laughs> dare I say the majority of stuff out there is all from the same place and it's not from Japan it's not from what I consider quality manufacturing and uh, well, I'm sorry if I've offended anyone out there by that statement but it's it's the, it's the truth oh no I mean it, we knew that I mean I, like I said there, there's so much that you have to be careful with because you can't you don't want to talk out of school you don't want to start fights and stuff yeah. but even going back in the day like I said with the U.S. optics stuff when you kind of look behind the scenes, you go, oh, wait a minute. Oh, that doesn't look kind of the same as what I was thinking it was. And and, and I, I agree. You don't, I mean, no, we're trying not to, we're, if anybody can tell, we're dancing around any names or calling anything out. But it, it's it's something that, you, like you said, an educated customer is your best customer. And there's a reason for that. And there's a lot of Right. Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, there's a lot of sort of myths and legends out there that get pushed around the internet quite a bit. And what what differentiates you from sort of the myths and legends is those, that education and fact that if you know what you're looking at, uh, it's there. No, that, that's, that's a fact. And, you know, like even when we talk about like U.S. optic way back in the day, I mean, like you say, you was one of the first ones to really get into that, that first focal plane game kind of push that avenue and uh, you know optically uh, John John Williams senior he, he was he was he was very smart in a lot of different ways and what he did well real well was he gave the, the tactical market things that they they didn't have available hadn't had ever had available and he was the first to do some of those things and, and for that I, I have to really commend him optically no they're, they're not I, I'd never seen never seen one that I thought was that great you know but but what what was what he did do great was capture a marketplace and, and help develop a, a brand new marketplace and give features that even today are, are, are novel. Um, you got to give that to them. And so again, it was a, a person, the people behind the, the brand. Yeah. It, it was, uh, he, he was good at what he did there. Yeah. Um, I mean, optically, it, optically, maybe not so much, uh, but, but, you know, design wise for features for the application, yeah, he had a lot of very unique, uh, Cool stuff. The the engineering catalog. Remember, it used to do the the right. a la carte menu, and you used to go through like a fifty page catalog, and you had to go yep. through like every page to spec out your scope. And I mean, you can get crazy with it when you had to spec those out. That was actually kind of funny, but in, in a way, yeah, it was too much. Remember, for years, it became it, it be, it got, people would have vapor lock trying to figure out what do they need. <laughs> You know, they're like, right. what do I do? And it's like, ah, just buy this scope. And and it was it was a way to get away from, uh, you know, only getting what they give you. But at the same time, it was so many choices, nobody knew the right choice to make. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I won't, I could go on forever on that kind of stuff. But like you say, that's that's not really probably what I what I should. Uh... Should discuss or be talking about. No, I mean it's all good. I mean it's a his, it's a history, and 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 like I said, you know, U.S. Optics today is a completely different company. It's owned by all different people, and so that's why I kind of I'm using them as the example because it, it is so different today. But it, if we go back, 
that sort of common area that that you, you look at it was he he was one to sort of push the, the, the like like you said the tactical scope market to where it is today was was it's sort of based on what he was doing you know 15 years ago yeah i think back then it was him and, and really the the Louisville mark four the old 616 power you know and then and then at that time you know at night force when i was there we were still doing a lot of more bench rest and and uh, second focal point, like you said, and eight minute clicks and things like that. It was a whole different different game. But when we when I developed the, the NXS, that was that was the, the game changer that got us moving in that direction as well. But, but yeah, Williams was a he was a pioneer. And back then, I mean, it was either him and, and that that optic or the Liverpool Mark IV, and there really wasn't a whole lot whole lot else out there. You know? Right, right. So um, we're coming down uh, close to the hour here. Uh, give me some of the direction you guys are going uh, that you could talk about. Um, I know, you know, we'll get into like all your dealers are, are definitely stocked up and ready to go in this in this weird time. Um, we are looking, like you had said, to kind of help educate the consumer now that everybody's going to be camped out in front of their computers and working from home and all that. So I'm doing what I consider my part to help bring some education, but go in the direction that zero compromise is going um, and, and it's tough. I know because like the competition season got cut short for people and you just yeah. brought on a bunch of new comp guys like Adam and, and things like that. Adam's a great guy, won Sniper's Hide Cup with Nick last year and he's one of your uh Z co shooters. So uh just give us give us your path forward. Well, you know, what we were planning and what, what reality is now is slightly different, but uh, you know, either either way we're still tracking uh, to to increase production and always maintain quality of course. We we put a lot of energy and, and uh, commitment into Getting new shooters using our product, and, and again, those people that contacted us, we, we don't sponsor anyone, um, really. I mean, because anyone that has one of our scopes and, and, it, and it says that they're they're sponsored, okay, maybe we gave them a, a slight, and I would say slight, slight bit of discount, but they they put they have skin in the game. They they spent their own money. They're they're using the scope because they they believe in it, and, and we 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 have quite a few people this just this in the last few months of the shot show that have. That have came on and we're, we're supporting them in, in, in that way and we were really excited to see the, the fruits of that come out of in, in, in education and, and, and product brand name awareness if you will through the, the competitions which unfortunately now are, are shut down for, for a new company like us uh, that's that's going to be really really difficult you know but we're we're buckling down we're we'll, we'll, we'll make it through just like everybody all small businesses will, will hopefully uh, do okay through this this, this time and we're building the building for the future. Our lead times for the first time ever are <laughs> current. Let's say. I mean, if you want a ZCO scope now, you have virtually no no real wait time within the shipping time. Uh, our dealers have have the product in stock. They're they're still selling. I mean, we're but obviously just like like most people in this industry, especially you know high high end expensive rifle scopes, they're they're not they're not the big ticket right now. You know, people are focusing on on the things that they need, you know, food and, and other things, not, not necessarily high price ticket items. So it's given us the opportunity to, to, to do some of the things that we we haven't been able to do, like feeding the dragon keeps you from taking time to, to go out and, 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 and test and, and do some other things and, and look at new new designs. So well, there's, some benefit to, there's some benefit to the slowdown that way. Yeah, but one thing people should look at too within the slowdowns, we saw a lot of people... Got a new rifle, need a new scope. Got a new rifle, need a new scope. Got a new rifle, need a new scope. Well, how about buying one great scope 
And then if you have to move it around, you know what I mean? And, and, and kind of, we, we, some of us do bounce rifle systems quite a bit, but at the same time, there's a lot more that you don't have to like, you know, through the accuracy international kind of what I'm doing more often than not is I could change calibers with the rifle, but I'm using one rifle, you know? So I think this is something for people to consider because we are going to be in a big fundamental change. I mean, the, the, our mindset, our, the way we operate, uh, the way we think about it, uh, you know, this is going to change. And I don't see us going back to a new norm anytime soon. I think we broke this really hard, really fast and for a lot longer than we might realize. And so in, in that case, having that one bulletproof optic that will carry and be able to hand down to your kids might be a better direction for some people. Well, and, you know, it's, and, and value. I mean, I've, I've told people, not just when I was at ZCO, but in other, other areas, you buy a high-quality optic. I mean, I'm, 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 for my spotting scopes and binoculars, I typically use Leica. Um, I've never had a Leica product. My, my, my Telvin 77 APO spotting scope or my laser rangefinder binoculars, I mean, they, they never go down. I mean, okay, maybe they have a sale at Christmas, but over the course of two years or three years, yeah, even as long as they're in decent condition, used I can usually sell them for what I what I bought them for after a few years. Um, you know, our ZCO scope is very much the same. There's a lot of scopes out there that are you know, fairly expensive, quite expensive. And you buy them today, and tomorrow there might be a sale on them for fifteen hundred dollars off, and now your your value has just gone to, to hell in a handbasket. And you know, as ZCO, even during these times, I mean, you know, we we don't have huge margins in in, in the product like like scopes that come from Japan or China or, or other places and um, so we, people that buy our product, not only are they getting the, the, the best product on the market, but their, their money is, is, is very well retained as, as good as it can be in, in a rifle scope. And uh, because our, the, the manufacturer, uh, we are not going to you know, discount and, and blow the product out. One, we can't. And, uh, and, and we just wouldn't, and our, our customers that do invest in a, in a high quality optic, not only do they get the, the benefits and performance, but they get the benefits and, and retain value. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I agree, and 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 I do think that, and and honestly, I, you know, prior to all of this, and and I've talked to you o- offline about it, so I'm not saying anything new to you that I hadn't said to you previously. I was always a Jeff Uber fan before, and I when 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 you said you were going to do your own, I I I was on board basically, I, and and for lack of a better word, I, I I was behind it. Like, hey, yeah, if you're coming out with something, I want to see it and and try it. We, we did do that early on, and, and, and I got one in my hand pretty quick and was thoroughly impressed. And, and it's, it's become pretty much my favorite optic, which will get me in trouble, but it won't be the first time I've been in trouble. But it, it is a very it, – it is, it is a definite tier one. And, and, you know, do I use everything else? Yeah, I use a ton. It, it, it's one of my favorite scopes. I have others that are great. And that's not to say there isn't great c- competition out there, but at the same time, I I really like the product you're putting out, and I think it, it makes me shoot well, look well, and and when someone sees like my book cover, right? I, I showed you the other day, my book cover's got a Zico on it, and that was something that I uh it w- that was a conscious decision. That was something where they said, here's your cover for your book. I said, well, what about this? Why don't we, I like this picture better. And they go, no, we like our cover. I said, well, wait a minute. I'll make your cover, but with my products. 
ones I like, you know? And so I basically just recreated their image with what I, what Frank basically recommends. And when I well, said, I appreciate that, Frank. Yeah. I mean, it means a lot. And I, I, you know, I'll say right now, I know you wouldn't support it regardless if, if you didn't really feel the way that, you, that it's the best or, or one of the best. And so that, that, that means a lot. And I really appreciate that. I appreciate you having me on the, on the show. And I want to say thanks to all of the, the supporters that are listening that, that do have our scope or are thinking about getting our scope. It's been, uh, our, our customers have done a, a ton of good for us and uh, without without them you know we, we wouldn't have really been able to tap into this market as quickly as we have nice nice well i appreciate it too like i said been a long time and and we've always been been square but um stay on the line i'm gonna do the outro music and get us out of here and then i'll hang up with you off but i'll stop the recording once the music starts Thanks. Yep. Thanks, Jeff. Hey, thanks everybody for listening to the Everyday Sniper podcast. Head over to the Sniper Side Forum. Like I said, we're talking about all this stuff. A lot more people are coming around. I know we're home. We're bored. We're doing that. Make sure you guys are staying safe, washing your hands, doing all the things we're supposed to be doing. Um, I do still think the dog's a Russian spy and he's trying to infect me, but that's another subject. You guys have a good one. Later.